before and told me, you know, it wasn't very long before I realized this wasn't like my mom and dad's church. <laughs> and uh, we're just going to keep extending that impression to you today. Uh, we've been doing a series on our DNA as a church, you know, our core values, what our mission is, what our vision is, some of the things that we really think are important. Uh, and today I want to talk about worship, and we're going to look at a, a story in the Bible in Luke, I'm sorry, in John chapter 4, and you might have read this story before and not have recognized that this story is, in fact, a love story. And what I want to talk about today is entering in to the love story. And so most people like a good love story. I think uh, it's entertaining, but I think deep down inside, when we hear a good love story, we want to experience some, in some way what, what we hear in that love story. And actually, when this story that people read, uh, that we're going to read today, uh, a lot of people wouldn't think that this person <laughs> in this main character in this story knows much of what uh, real love is like. In fact, it seems like as this person's story unfolds, they are in anything but a love story. But I want you to see uh, in this that this God wants to surprise us in our lives and, and bring us into his love story in a, in a way that you know, is, is totally outside of our frame of reference and, and the way we even expect life to work. So let's go into John chapter 4. And start reading at verse 1. Now I'm going to read this through, then I want to pray, and I want to make a couple of comments, and we're going to kind of break this up in two ways. Is first, I just want you to learn what this love story is. And then I want to talk about entering into that love story. Okay, so the first part, we're just going to read the text and unpack it a little bit, and then we're going to try to apply it and say, so how, how can this love story, which I think many of us will be able to hear this story and go, wow, there's, it's weird, but uh, I relate to this person's life and their story. It seems to resonate with my experience in life. And it, as it begins to do that, I want to encourage you, uh, when that happens to you, God's, God's doing something in your life. He's trying to speak to you. And He's trying to show you that there's something very relevant and applicable about what's going on in this story that he wants to be real to you. So as we read this story, and some of us it's a very familiar story, some of us it isn't, but as we read this story, I just uh, want to pray afterwards that you know, you'll be able to hear the things that are in this that are really important for you to hear today, okay? So let's start in verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. That's John the Baptist. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So, in other words, to get back to Galilee, he went through this area called Samaria. And so he came to a town in Samaria named Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from all the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is about noon. When, when, the, when a Samaritan woman 
came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Deep. And that well is, it's, it's still there. It's, it's over 100 feet deep. So it's, it's pretty far down. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. So he doesn't want her to get confused. He's not just talking about water. He's just using that as a starting point to talk about something deeper and more important. He says, everybody who drinks this water is going to get thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. And it doesn't mean they'll never thirst. It just means they'll have a source to draw from. And it's, a, and it's different than this well that they had to go up to and carry water down from day in and day out. So he's creating a contrast. And he says, indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. Now, at this point, you may wonder, why is he doing this? Uh, Men and women meet each other at all kinds of different places. Today, we call bars watering holes. Do you understand? In the ancient world, people uh, would meet at places that they frequented. And this was an ancient watering hole. Uh, it wasn't a bar, but this is oftentimes where men and women met. And Jesus is trying to communicate to this woman who may be getting the wrong message uh, because some of, I mean, a lot of commentators and scholars who have read this have said this sounds like the kind of bar language that guys use. Hey, baby, you want some living water? You know what I mean? I don't, I'm trying not to go too far down that road. I just want you to understand <laughs> that guys, you know, guys use the dumbest lines to try to, you know, gain a young woman's attention. Remember Jerry Seinfeld said, uh, guys don't get how to meet women. He says, you know, think about this. You know, women walk by and we honk our horns. Er, er. He says, that's the best line we can come up with. Honk your horn at her as she walks by. You know, is this the best we can do? That's right. It's the best we can do. Uh, and people frequently hooked up in situations like this. And Jesus didn't want this woman to think he's just another guy coming on to her. So, he signals to her, hey, call your husband. So you understand my intentions are honorable. And so at this point, she says, I have no husband. Jesus says, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you, na- you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, 
A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither in this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. He's saying we Jews. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And He's basically saying, listen, you think it's about where you worship. You don't get it at all. That's not what God's concerned with. God, it's never been about that. And for sure, it's not about that anymore. And so he's trying to get her out of this either-or sort of thinking and saying, you need, there's another way, and I'm going to introduce it to you, but don't get stuck in that, that sort of binary thinking where it's we're right or they're right. We're right, they're wrong. They're right, we're wrong. He's saying that's, that, that will stop you. You'll get stuck there. So he says, don't do that, because I'm, I'm trying to introduce you to something from God, the God you, you propose to worship. So the woman says... I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked him, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. And then we'll stop there for our purposes. So let's pray for a moment. Lord, uh, as we've read your word, we ask now that you'd speak to us out of it. We know you've started already that your word's alive and you speak to us through it. In fact, as we receive it, uh, you become real to us and your truth becomes real and, and right and wrong become real and, and the world begins to make more and more sense to us as we hear from you. So do that miracle again today and cause your word to come alive in the exact way we need it here today. Through Christ our Lord we ask, amen. So I said this was a love story and you may look at this and say, well, this isn't like a romantic love story. Well, it is in, in, certain, in a certain sense. If you go back in the Old Testament, three of the most important characters in the Old Testament all met their wives at a well. Jacob, this is where he met Rachel. When Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for his son Isaac, he came to a well like this, and there was an interesting little exchange between him and his, uh, oh, I forget, his relatives. Uh, daughter, and Moses met his wife at a well. I mean, this was, this was a common place for people to meet, interact, but it was also a place of significance in that uh, all the elements of it uh, carried uh, spiritual significance in this whole exchange. So there's, there's these layers of, of truth in this story, but what God was doing uh, because what, what a love story is about is that is love com comes along. The most interesting stories are where love comes along in, a, in an unexpected time, in an unexpected way, to an unexpected person from someone that they don't expect to receive love from. I mean, those are the sorts of elements that make a story compelling. And so this woman 
uh, is an unlikely person for God to be pursuing to become part of his bride, the bride of Christ. That's what followers of Jesus are, his people. She was uh, a woman who was a Samaritan woman, and I don't want to tell you all, give you all the details about Samaritans, but let's just say they were, a, they were in some way related to Jewish people that they believed the Old Testament, the first five books, but they figured after Israel got out of Egypt and started to the Promised Land, everything went sideways, and everything after that they didn't recognize. So they didn't believe in the prophets and Psalms and you know, the, the, the all that happened in Israel history, the, the monarchy, they just believed the five books of the Bible, the five, first five books of the Bible. And uh, because of that, there's this deep, deep divide between the Samaritans and the Jews. And so she saw herself as an outsider from the Jews. And she was surprised when, when Jesus would talk, even talk to her, right? She said... You know, I'm not one of your people. You guys don't even talk. You're, you're, you're so, you so look down your noses at us that you won't even talk to us. Now, a lot of times that's how love stories start, isn't it? Uh, two people who are very unlikely end up falling in love. And in the beginning, sometimes there's, there's, there's sparks, not sparks of love, but sparks of, you know, irritation. And I don't like you. And, you know, you're annoying and stay away from me. I never want to see you again. A lot of those storylines in movies are like that and, and in uh, literature. So this was like this. And she was, put, she was preparing herself for his rejection. And she was surprised, in a sense, when he didn't reject her. She wasn't one of the right kind of people, okay? Secondly, when Jesus... And, and yet, right off the bat, Jesus started offering her something that she quickly recognized she needed. And she wasn't exactly sure what he was offering. At first she thought he was talking about water. Then she began to realize he's talking about some spiritual uh, subject. And she liked what he was describing about it, but she wasn't altogether clear about that. And so Jesus began to want to go a little further and, get, and have a more serious discussion. And he invites her to bring her husband. And of course, God had already showed him at some point in there, we don't know when, that, you know, she wasn't, uh, she didn't have the right kind of lifestyle because she'd been married five times and she was cohabiting with the guy that uh, was the head of her household now. Now, that's not a love story. I don't know if you guys, you know, are up on that. But being married five times is not a love story, is it? That's a story of heartache and heartbreak. And, And yet that's very common today. And then on top of that, uh, probably after the fifth husband, either she gave up on marriage or the town she lived in, all the men said, you know, (laughs) we're not marrying her, right? And when you're from a small town and that's very much where you feel comfortable, that limits your options. And so, and, and in that town, those people had a very high bar for morality, and she fell well under it. And so she was ostracized, even in her town. That's why she came at noon to draw water, because she wouldn't have felt comfortable with the other women in the town who would come to get water, because they would typically come earlier in the day before it was hot. She had to come later in the day because she didn't want to run into people and have those awkward encounters. And people 
sent her signals, the other women sent her signals, you know, we don't approve of you. Okay? Now, that's not the material for a love story, is it? She felt ashamed. She felt, re- she felt rejected because people did reject her. And she was falling short of what she even believed. Third, as Jesus began to engage her about you know, the, the spiritual matters that he wanted to discuss, she started sort of disputing with him. And she exposed the fact that she didn't really believe the right kind of things. She, so she was a wrong person who had the wrong kind of lifestyle, who had the wrong kind of beliefs about God. And, you know, when you add those up, p- people tend to look at that and go, you know, write that person off. You know, what, what interest would God have in a person like that? But what Jesus says to her, and I think that she felt that way, because Jesus tried to invite her to be open to what he was presenting to her. And he said to her, listen, you know, don't get caught in that Jerusalem, the mountain thinking, because God wants worshipers. God is seeking worshipers. And I think at that moment, she's going, is that what this is? Is he seeking me? Me? I'm the wrong kind of person with the wrong lifestyle. Who do, I don't get it. Why would the God of your people ever want me? What, what interest would he have in me? And then Jesus says, not only is he seeking you, but to worship him. He's seeking worshipers, worshipers who, who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, right there, you know, again, that raises the bar up again because she goes, I don't even know what that means, spirit and truth. But I'll tell you this, I don't feel close to God. And if you're saying that whatever kind of worship I'm involved in doesn't fit what God's looking for, then I'm really struck. How, how can I ever worship God in spirit and in truth? And at that point, she says the right thing. She goes, but I do know this. She says, I don't really have any hope right now for where I am, but I believe when the Messiah comes, he's going to explain how, it, how, how this will all work out. And this is like, you know, where the story, there's a pause in the story, and then Jesus goes, I who speak to you am he. And this is where there's, there's a huge fork in the road. You can't see it right now, but I mean, in a sense, this is what's happening is, is God pursues us. He pursues us. He tries to speak to us all the time. You know, what I've learned, the, the longer I've, I've followed Jesus, I'm learning more and more. I need to be quiet more because God's trying to speak to me all the time, and I'm so busy I'm so busy talking, I'm so busy doing things that I don't hear his voice. And there'll be times where I'll be in a situation that is completely sort of unspiritual, out in public somewhere or or, or whatever, or I will be in a frame of mind that doesn't seem like it's, I'm situated to hear from God, you know, I'm not being pious, or I'm really frustrated, or I'm really discouraged, or I'm really angry, or I've just really blown it and sinned in some way. And you think, well, God's not going to meet you until you stop being angry, until you stop being frustrated. And, if, and when you're really sad, 
you know, that's like a, a bummer and you can't hear from God then. If you've sinned, for sure you're not going to hear from God, right? Because God doesn't hear from us when we sin. Or we don't hear from God when we sin. That's not, none of that's true. Those are all assumptions many of us have, but that's not true. This woman was all those things and more. And God was seeking her. She was just going up to this well thinking, another day, another bucket of water. That's it. And all of a sudden, there's this man there. Ordinary man. Guy that she probably didn't think, you know, was anything more than another man. Then she gets closer. It's a Jew. Oh, great. You know, I come up here because I don't want to run into the people of my town because they make me feel miserable. And now I'm going to be around a Jew. And he's going to say, get away from me, you know, you Samaritan wench. Now, this is going to be fun, you know. It's going to be a fun day, you know. I'm, I'm dragging water down the hill, you know, to the guy that won't marry me. And, you know, my, my life's really, you know, like that storybook fable. It's just, it's falling into place every day. She didn't feel anything like that. But this is, God is not like what we think. He's like who he is, and he reveals himself to us through Jesus, his son. And so he's talking about, at first he says, I'll give you something. And then he says, God is seeking. And so he's, you understand he's implying something. He's saying, God's seeking you through me. And what you need comes through me. And so there's this fork. So the woman has to decide at that moment. Do I let go of everything the, the little crumbs that I've held on to that make my life work, even though it doesn't really work, do I hold on to life on my terms or do I embrace Jesus? Because he says he's the Messiah and he's said things to me here that nobody else has said. And he made me feel like a person in a way that nobody else has made me feel. And he says that he will teach me what I need and that God's seeking me through him. God is seeking you. God, your creator, is seeking you through Jesus, his son. Each one of you. And in, and in many ways, every one of us can relate to this woman and who she is. And her situation. Ours, may be, ours might be different in, in little different ways. But we're just like her. Well, it says, again, because I mentioned this to you before. She leaves her her water jar. And that's a very symbolically important textual note in the story because what it's saying to her is Jesus had offered her living water. He'd offered her another way of living that she didn't have to keep living the way she was living if she followed Him. That God would become her source. That He would help her sort things out. Which meant all kinds of challenges faced her if she'd gone back down the hill with the bucket, that was the fork. Those are the, this is the fork in the road. Go back down the hill with the bucket. Hold on to what you have, the bird in the hand, even though it's really a dead bird or it's about dead. Or take the promise of Jesus and, and go on that adventure. And it says that there's a, as, as you read the story, I don't think I could read it as dramatically as I think it's written. But there is a pause at that moment where he says, I am he. And I think it's like, she goes, oh. 
And I think there's this, this long extended, she's looking at Jesus. And, and, and she's just thinking. And she's just wrestling. What does this mean? It, could he be the one? Is he really a Messiah I've heard about? He, will he really give me this living water? Is the God who I believe I've, I've tried to worship, but not very well, and that my fathers and forefathers have believed in, is this God really speaking to me? Is this his Messiah? And I need to listen to him and follow him? And he can give me this living water, which I believe has something to do with God being with me? And she sat at that fork of the road. I don't know how long she sat there. But I think Jesus is patient with us. And he just, he, he draws near to us and he pursues us and then he just waits. Wait. And then it says she put her bucket down, her, 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 her water jar, probably clay water jar, and she went down the road and she started telling people about who she had just met. And they, they were so amazed, and we've talked about this before, why, you know, why they'd be amazed by her, her testimony. But the whole town comes back up to find out who this man is that she's spoken with. And this is where she entered the love story, okay? And this is where the love story and worship come back together. I want to bring that back into this. So this woman... All she understood was there's a love story that I'm being invited to enter into by becoming a worshiper, a follower of you, one of your students. And so she was giving us, Jesus was giving us a dynamic equivalent. All followers of Jesus are supposed to be worshipers. And all true worshipers are followers of Jesus. And so we, what, what, why I'm saying it's a love story is the Bible, one of the ways you can summarize the message of the Bible, parts of it is this. You were made from love for love. You know, every one of you sitting here know, and everyone that not be listening to this on our podcast knows that you are as drawn to love as a bee is to a flower. That we are made from love, from the love of God, and we're made for love, the love of God. And we're just like this woman. None of us have experienced that in anywhere near the degree that we, that we need it until we hear the gospel, the good news. Like what Diane and, and Rod sang, that song, how great the love of God. It's just greater than any love we've ever experienced or we've ever even heard of, right? It's like that. And worship, and I'll give you a simple, my definition of worship. There's lots of them out there. I think that many of them overlap. Worship is love expressed to God out of love experienced from Jesus. Worship, true worship, is love that we express to God out of the love we've experienced from Jesus. Okay? True worship is love that we express to God, and we express it in lots of ways, out of the love we've experienced from Jesus, from God through Jesus. And so, how do we enter into this love story and become a worshiper? 
Well, I'll tell you three ways. First, through Jesus, as I've said. Second, through public worship. And then third, through life as worship. I'm not going to talk really that much about the last point, but we experience and enter into this life of, this, this, this love story through Jesus. This is how this woman entered in. She wasn't, the right kind, she wasn't from the right kind of people. She didn't have the right lifestyle. And she didn't have the right belief system. And what Jesus was saying, if you come to me, I make you one of the right people because I'm related to the right person, God the Father. And you can know him through me. And I will give you my standing with him. And you don't have the right lifestyle. Nobody does. But I, I've lived the perfect life and I will give it to you. And that will give you standing with God. So your wrecked lifestyle will be replaced with my perfect lifestyle. And third, he says, you don't have it together. You don't understand. We're all confused. But I know the truth. I am the truth. And as you follow me, I will form a, a greater and greater understanding of the truth in you. And when you believe in me, then I will give you my spirit. The Holy Spirit will live in you and he will make all that I promised you that you have as a gift real to you and it will become a greater and greater reality in your life. So you will go on a journey where you experience, and be, you, you experience me and become like me and reveal me to others to a greater and greater degree as long as you walk in that love story and as long as you follow me. That's God's promise to us through Jesus. That's the good news. That's what he brought to this woman. And we, now this is, this is where public worship comes in. We enter this love story through Jesus, but then he calls us to gather, and like we did today, to express our love to him in a whole variety of ways together as a people. That his people gather regularly all over the world. They've done this for 2,000 years. Now, a lot of people don't like to do this. And I understand all the reasons why we don't do it. But Americans are just so... Like, we can just do whatever we want. Because our nation was bounded on freedom. And we can, we can experience and do whatever we want. But the truth is, you, you, you miss something when you don't engage in public worship with, with other people who want to follow Jesus, just like you do. Sometimes they want to follow Jesus better than you. Sometimes they want to follow Jesus less than you do. They're just kind of struggling along. But when people get together and worship Him publicly, we begin to enter into that love story. Uh, how do people ordinarily show affection? So how do we worship? Well, if you think about how people show affection in the Bible, that's how people we're called to show affection to God. Affection is something that gets demonstrated, isn't it? And just showing up is a demonstration of affection for God. And I think, you know, Diane said this uh, to our worship team and then to me, Kathy and I, at dinner last night. She said, you know, it's really, we have to be careful when we look at other people and watch them in public worship, not to judge them, because we don't know whether they're worshiping God or not. It's easy to compare how we like to worship God and look at them and say, wow, you know, <laughs> is that person even a Christian? How can they just, you know, be so sphinx-like? You know, like, 
Just and and uh, we have you know some of us have personalities that are a little more introverted and, and not as expressive, and other people are are way more expressive and dem- demonstrative in terms of their affection of God. But the truth is, it everybody starts off and it's awkward in the beginning. Like when you really are attracted to someone, and you begin to get closer to them, and you begin to want to show affection, isn't it awkward? Isn't it weird and strange? That barrier that you have to push through to start saying thoughtful, kind things. And, you know, I mean, you know, at that point, like you would think that first time when you're on, uh, you've been dating someone and you're starting to get a little more serious in your interest in them, to, to hold their hand, you would think, like with all the anxiety that it produces in our hearts, that you're about to put your hand into a meat grinder, <laughs> right? Like, I'm, you know, <laughs> or you're going to get electrocuted when you grab their hand. The anxiety that it excites in you, expressing your love to God in the ways that Scripture tells us are normal, is like that. But when you do, I remember the first time I held Kathy's hand, I almost fainted. I just went, oh my gosh. <laughs> Was that good for you? <laughs> You know what I mean? I just like, like, wow. I've done lots of other things before that didn't feel near that good. And, and I dated Kathy for six months before I ever held her hand. And I, I determined in my heart the whole way I'd live my, you know, dating life at that point, it was going to be different with this girl. And I asked her, I said, can I hold your hand? The first time, I, she said, no. <laughs> So it's like, she, you know, it's, the carrot was pushed a little further out, you know, and the, and the, the donkey just kept chasing the carrot. <laughs> but when you want to worship God, it's like that. You feel awkward and weird. But with each successive demonstration of your affection to God in ways that the truth, the Word says we should worship Him, we get this deeper and deeper bond with him. And, and we know what he's like in a deeper and deeper way. Because love needs to be expressed. It's, it's not really love it's, if it's just kept inside. That's what James says. If we say we love the poor and we don't actually do anything to help them, we really, we really aren't loving them at all, however well we think we love them. It's a fantasy in our own mind. And so when, when we're experiencing this rich love from God, this is where the kind of the push, uh, I'll wind it up here, the, the, the rubber meets the road is this. When, the, to enter that love story and become a worshiper, the more you demonstrate that love for God, and you, the more you experience it. As you lift your hands, like Diane said today, lift your hands, and, and I, I, I was up front so I couldn't see, but I just imagined there was other people at that directive. You lifted your hands. And I remember every time I engaged the Lord in one of those ways, clap or kneel or just sing or any other number of appropriate ways of expressing my devotion to God in a public worship setting, that I enter more deeply into that love story. Now, you go, well, I don't feel that, John. I want to be authentic. Well, I go, okay, that's good. But expressing your love to someone appropriately 
if you wait till you feel good, you're not going to love your spouse or your children or your neighbors or the poor or anybody. If, if, if you having overflowing affection and bubbled up passion for God is, is the determinant that gets you over that line, most people aren't going to ever worship. But what you find is, sometimes our hearts are engaged that way. We walk into public worship and we just want to begin to worship God. We want to tell Him, God, you're so good. You're so faithful. You're so forgiving. You're, you're, you're so generous. You're so just and righteous. And I feel so secure. And you, you begin to tell Him that. Because that's one of the things we do when we love people. Don't we express it? Don't we express it? And that's a hard thing to do in a relationship. Oftentimes, even when you've been in a marriage for years and years and years, there are times where you just don't feel like saying that again. Or you say it in a way that's kind of half-hearted. But most of the time, it's not a, a bubbling up thing. But if we come to public worship and we begin to worship God because He deserves to be worshipped, however our lives are going, and we offer what, uh, uh, what one part of the Bible says is a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes it's easy to offer praise to God. Many times it's not. You don't feel it. But as you begin to do it, you begin to enter into the love story. You become a worshiper. And then you begin to experience through the Spirit the presence of God. And God begins to reveal Himself to you because this is what affection does, isn't it? As we demonstrate affection to one another, we open our hearts up to one another. That's what people do. And God begins to open His heart up to us as we begin to open our hearts up. That's what Spirit and truth is. Because truth is objective truth, but it's also the truth, the subjective truth of our lives. And Jesus met this woman at the worst of her life. Do you get it? He took away her fear forever, hopefully, that if she revealed the worst part of herself, that she would be pushed away. He preemptively said, I know the worst thing about you, but I'm still after you. God is still after you. He doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to give you another way to live so you won't have to live in that condition. And that, that new life comes through me. If you follow me and you pursue me, and then if we, if we do public worship together, it's part of the way that God opens His heart up to us. And a lot of the things that we believe are true, that we really respect and are important, those things become real to us as we worship together. You can take, if you have a charcoal fire, you take a coal away from that fire it will stay warm for a while, but it will eventually go out. But if you keep it near the other coals, it stays warm far longer. And there's something about public worship where we engage the Lord and we get deeper with Him than we can ever go alone. And I don't want to go into the worship as a lifestyle because we talk about that a lot, but let me say this. And, and Diane, I want you guys to worship you come back up. We're going to close. Let me say this. How the, the worship is supposed to be a lifestyle, not just what we do here. And so some people fall back and they say, well, I worship God, you know, out in among the trees. And I say, oh, really? You know? Yeah. You, you, like you, you're out there uh, walking through the park and uh, you're singing just as I am. And uh, hungry I come to you, right? I said, yeah. I, I believe that, that God speaks to us out in nature too. 
But the pattern of Scripture is that God calls His people together to meet with them, to dwell among us. That there's, there's something powerful about this gathering. Potentially powerful. But He's out there too. And let me tell you three things. How you use power and how you use money and how you use sex are the three biggest tests of how you express your love for God. Because if you want to express love to God, use power appropriately. And you may think, I don't have any power. You know, we all have power. We all have social power. We all have economic power. We have organizational power. And you may be low on the organizational chart, but how we involve ourselves when the office games are going on around us is a part of worship. How we use the resources God's entrusted us. I just heard this week, ironically, uh, that the youngest billionaire in the world was, uh, is a woman. And she's in her early 20s. And she was in an Ivy League college. And she uh, uh, you know, has a scientific bent. She figured out how, uh, something that I think some of you, when I tell you this, you're going to stand up and cheer. But you know when you go to the doctor and they, and they, they do a blood panel and they, they take enough blood out that you think you're going to look like a prune when they're finished, Right? And you go, are you finished yet? You know, like you got like 16 different bottles there. You know, I'm not going to be able to walk out of here. She figured out a way to run every conceivable possible test by pricking your finger. The blood, a drop of blood. Now, this, these new machines are going to show up everywhere. This, this college dropout figured out how to do this with a drop of blood. And now she's a billionaire. And I mean, she's just scratching the surface because, you know, she's got this patent and this is a phenomenally, you know, uh, important piece of technology for obvious lots of reasons. So she's going to have a whole lot of money. And I don't know if she's a believer in Jesus or not, but... If you had, on the news this week, they said, if you have $3,000 in the bank, you have more money, you're, 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 in, you're in the richest half of the world. The richest half of the world. If you have $3,000, and God's given us stuff, and how we use it is going to be an expression of our devotion to Him. And same thing with do, do we buy into the sexual chaos of our world? And, it, and it's not any new what, the way it is today. People have always gone off the rails sexually. It's just the way it is. But this woman had to look at Jesus and go, I've got some sorting out to do in this area. If I'm going to follow him, I don't know what this means for me. But it was an issue that Jesus had brought up to her, and she was going to have to sort it out with him. But he still offered her his love and his grace, because that was going to be the only way she was going to ever get the courage to sort it out. Because it was going to upset her world when she began to embrace what God's design was. And so some of you, how you deal with power, how you deal with money, and how you deal with sex is, is going to be sorted out. 
And if you want to worship God as a lifestyle, you've got to follow Jesus in those areas of your life, too. And so I want to invite you today. We're going to worship. This is why worship is important to us. Because God's taken us on this love story. And he's, invited, he's brought this love story into the world through his son, and he wants us to enter into it. And not just like sample it, like, you know, like you go through the supermarket and they offer you a little Dixie cup of some new product. And then they tell you, you know, it's in the case over here. And there's, you know, like the whole side of ham is there. And, you know, you're just getting a little shaving of it. Uh, worship is not supposed to be a shaving. It's supposed to be the whole, you know, side of ham. And, but we're going to have to press through things that are awkward. And many of us already know Jesus, and so we can press through those things. But I want to encourage you to make public worship a priority in your life. It is, a, it, it is something we, we haven't even plumbed anywhere near the depths of what it can be for us together. Meaning each one of us are going to benefit from what everybody else around us is doing. But we have to embrace that as, as not just like something I fit into my schedule when I... You know, I don't have a, a round of golf to play or I don't, you know, have 500 other things I can schedule on a Sunday. I believe that, the, that there's, there's love from Jesus that he wants us to experience. It's a, a spring of living water that public worship is a crucial part of. So some of you here today, you have choices to make on whether that's going to be a, a, a regular, consistent, committed part of your life. Others of you, you're thinking about, I don't know if I've ever met Jesus that way. So there's others of you, that, that's what you're thinking through today. Is, is all this really possible if I follow Jesus? And, and a lot of us here are standing here and saying, yes, it is. And we invite you to, to start that journey today, if you haven't. So why don't you stand, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna close and, and we're just gonna call out to the Lord together for a couple of minutes. And at any point, you know, you're dismissed after I pray, but if you can hang around, just worship for a few minutes and, and respond to whatever the Lord's spoken to you about as we do this. Lord, uh, thank you for your word. We just want to uh, respond to it today. So help us, Lord, to get out of our comfort zone and begin to express our love to you in, in new ways, in, in ways that are appropriate, ways that honor you and please you. And Lord, break off of us today this self-consciousness and fear and pride and any other attitude that would hold us back from calling out to you and, and telling you how good you are and how merciful you've been and, and opening our lives up to you wholeheartedly every day of our lives. In Christ's name, amen.